yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen to that. Could you get your Bibles and open them up or your phones or whatever it is you're using and open it up into 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. We are going to be going through those verses this morning. And as we think about those verses, um, there is this reality for Christians. And I don't know if you know this, but there is this reality for Christians. And, and it is this. Christians are often called various names. <laughs> we're not just called Christians. We're often called various names. Now, some of those names are good names and some of those names are bad names. And, and I, for one, have been called many of those names. Some of them would be um, Bible basher or, or born agains or um, uh, holy Joes. Um, We've been called many, many different names and some names um, I can't even mention here on this camera. It wouldn't be right for me to say them in church. But Christians have been called throughout the years various different names. But what Peter wants to do this morning is tell you of another name that you are called as a Christian. He wants to in, encourage you this morning that, that you have this, this new name. If you have identified yourself with Jesus, you have been given a name. And that name for you should be a name that is a great encouragement in your life. When you're going through suffering and hardship and difficulty, he assigns to us as Christians this glorious and wonderful name. To encourage us. And the reason I know that is because at the time he was writing was around A.D. 64. He was writing to a mix of Gentile Christians predominantly and, and, and Jewish Christians. And he was writing to them to encourage them as they were suffering under persecution of Roman rule under Nero. And so he wants to give them this new name at the very beginning of this letter so as to encourage them. Listen to what this name is. 1 Peter 1 verse 1 says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is our new name, Christians. Our new name is elect exiles. That is the, if you like, the nickname that he assigns to Christians that he's writing to in this letter. And that is the nickname that is assigned to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are called. An elect exile. That's your nickname, if you like. Now, there's one there's there's kind of two questions that you ask whenever you hear a nickname. There there are two questions that you ask of the nickname. The first is, what does it mean? And the second is, how did you get it? What does it mean? What's the meaning behind the name? And how did you get the name? What's the story behind the name? And so what I want us to do uh, this morning is, is look at those two questions. What does the name mean and how did we get it? What does the name elect exiles mean and how did we get it? First, 
we must look at what does this name, elect exiles, mean? And it means two things. First, it means we are chosen. We are the chosen ones of God. That is what elect means, that we are chosen by God. And that is such a glorious thing to know. You see, he was writing to Christians, giving them this title, not so that they would debate it for eternity, what did elect mean, or so that they would feel an imposition upon their will. No, he was writing it to them to encourage them. You are chosen people of God. And oh, what a feeling it is to know that we have been chosen by God Almighty. I remember there was this time when I was 15 years old and I received um, this really important letter. A letter that we were waiting for, for for weeks in my house. And the letter came into the house and my mum took the letter and she knew what it was. And she gave me the letter and I took the letter and I ran upstairs. And I remember where I sat in my room as I ran upstairs. I, I sat down and I opened up this letter ever so slowly. And as I pulled the letter out of the envelope, it said on the letterhead, Irish Hockey Association. (laughs) Now, don't get confused. This is the only letter I ever received from them. But I opened up this letter and it told me I had been chosen. I'd been chosen for the team. And the feeling of elation to know that I had been picked, that I had been chosen. Oh, that is the feeling he wants us to see. He wants us to get. As we open up this letter, that is the feeling he wants us to have. You have been chosen by God Almighty. Oh, it is glorious. And the reason it is so glorious is because this letter is not just any old letter. No, this letter has been written to us by Peter, the apostle. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. This is written by him. And as an apostle, he is given a job. Apostle means a kind of a sent out one. And I want to remind you of the last conversation that Peter had with Jesus. He was standing with Jesus and Jesus has asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And at the end of that conversation, I want you to hear what Jesus said to him. After Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? Peter said to him in John 21, verse 17, he says this, Lord, you know everything. It's an amazing statement. Jesus, you know everything about me. You know the words before they come out of their mouth. You know my thoughts. You know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said these words to him. Feed my sheep. You see, this is no ordinary letter. It's no ordinary letter. What Peter is doing in this letter is what? He is feeding the sheep. He is doing what he has been sent out to do. 
And oh, he is feeding the sheep with the most wonderful food there is for the soul to know that we have been chosen by God Almighty. What a feeling that is to know that we have been chosen by him, called out by him to be his children. And that is to be an encouragement for God's people. That is to be an encouragement for both you and me. To be elect, to be chosen. We don't really deserve it, do we? We don't. And as you look at the history of God's people, When you see this idea of the fact that they were elect, that they were chosen, this is the reality for all God's people throughout the generations. They were a chosen people. You you look at Noah, you begin with Noah and you say, why was was Noah chosen out of all of the world? And you might say, well, because everybody else was bad and he was good. No, he was favored by God. And after the flood, you know what happened? The world still went downhill. Why? Because he and his family were there. In fact, after the flood, he gets drunk and naked. Why was he chosen? God's grace. And then Abraham, you think of Abraham, there he was wandering and and strolling around in Ur of the Chaldeans. He wasn't looking for God. And yet God found him. And he brought him and he said, and he said, I'm, I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to use you to bless all the nations. And you look at Abraham's life and you think this is a guy who who lied about who his wife was and left her for dead and slept with his 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 servant. And yet he was chosen by God's grace. And you could go on and on. You look at Jacob, Jacob, the deceiver who deceived his brother of his birthright and of his blessing. Yet God chooses him and not Esau. This is the grace of God in their lives. (laughs) And you wonder why them? And then those people, they turned into a nation. The nation is Israel. And when you think about Israel, you just think about this small little kind of, in the time anyway, this nothing nation in between all these superpowers. And you say, why? And we got an answer not only from the reading that Hannah gave us, but we get an answer also in Deuteronomy 14, verse 2, when it says this of Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God chose them out of all all the people who are on the face of the earth. And you ask the question, why? Because of his grace. And so you move along the generations, don't you? And, and, And you have this Jesus who is who is. Born into this world and he he walks up to these guys who are holding fishing nets and he says to them, drop your nets and follow me. And what do they do? Immediately they drop their nets. What were they doing? They were not looking for him. They were working. And yet he chooses them. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a glorious truth to be marveled at. That he has chosen us. 
We are his elect. If you think about that, move on through the generations. And here we stand with Facebook and a phone. You need to know this morning. You have been chosen by God. If you are his, he's chosen you. Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember when you were saved? Were you looking for him? Or did he find you? He found you. Because that's Jesus' job. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he did with you. He sought you and he found you and he saved you. Well, glory to him. So that's what this name means. It means elect exiles means we are chosen, but it also means that we are strangers, exiles, elect exiles. And this term exiles was a term that was given to God's people also in the past. In, 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 70, in 722 BC, the Assyrians came and took over God's people and brought them out of the land. And those people, as they were brought out of the land and displaced out of the land, they were called exiles, strangers, different people in a different land. And then in 586 BC, the great Babylonian Empire through Nebuchadnezzar, they took God's people out of the land. They were called exiles because they were in a place that was not their home land. They were taken out of their home to live as strangers and exiles in the world. And so it is with us. We are taken out of our home to live as exiles in this world. This world is not our home, believer. Heaven is our home. This world is a strange land to us. We are only passing through. There was a, um, a, f- a phrase that I heard quite often when I first moved into Passage West, and it was this, once a blow-in, always a blow-in. It basically means this, once a stranger, always a stranger. Once different, always different. That's what we are, brothers and sisters, in this world. We are blow-ins. We are strangers. Our citizenship isn't here in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We shouldn't live as though this world is our heaven. We should live as though heaven is our heaven. This world is is 70 years. What did Brendan teach us last week? This world is 70, 80 years. Lord, teach us to number our days. Our days are few. And what we do with Jesus will determine where we spend eternity. And our eternity, those who have trusted in him, is heaven. That's our home. This is not our home. And what's significant about this is because of what he says to them. He says to them in in verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, I want you to see something very important here. When you think of those names... What comes to your mind when you think of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia? What comes to your mind? 
if you're honest, probably nothing comes to your mind because you don't know how to relate to that. But what came to the reader's mind and what should come to our mind is Turkey. That's where these people were. Modern day Turkey. They didn't call it Turkey. They called it Asia Minor. But there is something we learn from that. Just a little side note. Something we learn about that. If you're not used to the scripture and if you're new coming here this morning, there's something you need to know about the Bible. Often people say that the Bible is just myth and fairy tale. But what you see here is this was written by a real person, Peter, to real people who lived in a real place, Turkey, and they had real problems, trouble and persecution. So the first thing you can see, just a little side note for us. But the second thing that he is saying to them in saying this is, yes, you are in Pontius. You are in Galatia. You are in Cappadocia. You are in Asia. You are in Bithynia. But though you are in those places, those places, they're not your home. They're not your home. You're strangers and exiles. In this world, this is not your home, brothers and sisters. So wherever you find yourself watching this right now, wherever you find yourself, whether you are in Passage West or in Douglas or in Cargilline or in Rochestown or, or in England or in Spain or in France, wherever you're watching this, Right now, wherever you are in, that place you are in is not your home. We are but strangers passing through. Brothers and sisters, let us not live as though this world was our home. It is not our home. So that's what this name means. Elect exiles. It means we are chosen and it means we are strangers. But where did the name come from? How did we get the name elect exiles? What's the story behind the name? This is glorious. We got the name from God the Father in God the Spirit. And for God, Son. We got this name from God. We got it from God. We didn't get it from ourselves. And when I say God, I mean God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. I mean God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's what I mean when I mean God. Oh, people say we worship the same God. Every religion worships the same God. No, no. We worship God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. And oh, we see the work of the Trinity in our lives in this name that has been given to us. Firstly, we get this name by God the Father. Look at verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. This is how we got this name. 
We got this name according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And what you need to know, this word knowledge means exactly that. He knows you. We're strangers in this world. And sometimes it feels like we've walked into this party, as it were, and we haven't been invited and no one knows us. As we walk into the rooms of this world, that's what it feels like. No one invited us. I don't belong here. No one knows me. Yet the truth he is saying here is we are strangers in this world. The one who created this world, he knows you. And that's the important thing. He knows you. And in Hebrew thinking, this word know and knowledge is this idea of intimate knowledge, intimate covenantal knowledge of you and who you are. And we see this knowledge in, in passages like, like Luke 12, where it says he, he knows the numbers of hairs on our head or the lack thereof. <laughs> he knows us. He knows us. If, if you were to um, uh, go back in the scripture and do that this afternoon, go, go back to Psalm 139. Write it down. Psalm 139. That's some of your homework. Go and read that this, this morning or this afternoon. And in that psalm, you will find out. Just ask the question as you read the psalm. How much does God know about me? And you will see he knows everything. The passage tells us. He knows our thoughts. He knows every word before it comes out of our mouths. And listen to this. He knows the number of our days. He knows everything about you. And that is such a precious thought, isn't it? You may not feel known. You may not feel loved. You might even be married and yet not feel known. You might have family with you and yet not feel known. You might have a best friend and yet not feel known. But the truth is, God knows you it's glorious but it isn't just that he knows us what does the passage say by the foreknowledge of god this is not just mere knowledge it is the foreknowledge of god and this doesn't mean that he foresaw what we would do this means he planned it out and why i know that is because of how Peter uses this word elsewhere in the letter. Follow me with this because it's so important. Chapter 1, verse 19. He uses the word again. Chapter 1, verse 19. He says this of Jesus. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. 
What this is saying in this passage is that Christ Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. It wasn't only that God the Father saw what Jesus would do beforehand, but God the Father foreknew, God the Father planned it and determined it before the foundation of the world. And that is how he foreknew you before the foundation of the world. Let me share with you some scriptures that speak of this foreknowledge. Before the foundation of the world. You were foreknown. Firstly, in the writing. In the writing. Listen to this. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Everyone who has not been written. Which means there are some who have been written. Before the foundation of the world. Revelation 17, 8. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel when they see the beast. From the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? Our names were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Then Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From before the foundation of the world. (laughs) He had written us down before the foundation of the world. He had chosen us before the foundation of the world. And he prepared a place for us before the foundation of the world. You are known. And that is mind-blowing. Doesn't that reality just humble you? I may not be known by anybody in this world, but my Savior knows me. My God knows me. You are foreknown by God the Father. We've been given this name. We get this name from God the Father. But we also get this name in God the Spirit. Listen to what it says, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, next week, we are going to talk about the Spirit's work in our salvation more when we talk about what it means to be born from above or born again. But I just want us to realize this. We are elect exiles, not by our doing but by the doing of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that does the sanctifying work in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that does the cleansing work in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that sets us apart. He, the Holy Spirit, he sets us apart. Marked out for him. I remember a conversation I had with this 
teenager a, a good few years back, actually in passage. We, I was in my early 20s. He was a teenager and we were we were talking about the Lord Jesus. It was about one o'clock in the morning and we were chatting together back and forth, back and forth. And he said to me, Shane, do you know what the problem is? I said, what? He said, the problem is I am just not holy. He was right. He was not holy. He was a sinner in need of a savior. And in that moment, I said to him, yes, you're right. You're not holy. But let me tell you about a God who can make you such. Let me tell you about a God who can make you holy. And that is the Holy Spirit's job to sanctify you, to set you apart, to revive you, to regenerate you, to make you born again, born from above. Oh, I can't wait for us to think more on this reality. But think of what comfort this must give God's people to know that I am chosen by God the Father, that I am chosen in God the Holy Spirit. What does that, what must that mean for them? How must that encourage them? It must encourage them in, in this very great way. It must encourage them in this very great way because. They need to realize I haven't chosen myself. God has chosen me because you see, if you have chosen yourself, what does that mean? You can lose yourself. You have to rely on yourself. You are ever changing. But if God has chosen you, you're in safe hands. You don't have to rely on yourself. You rely on him. And those who he chooses, he keeps by God the Father, in God the Spirit. And where else did we get this name? For God the Son. We got this name for a purpose. We got this name by God the Father, in God the Spirit. And we got it for a purpose for God the Son. That means for you as a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus, what that means is that your life is not meaningless. Your life is not to be lived for yourself. Your life has a purpose, and that purpose is for Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in the end of verse 2. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. There is a purpose in your calling and there is a purpose behind your name, elect exiles. Your name gives you purpose and that purpose is for obedience to Jesus, for obedience to Jesus. You might be confused this morning, wondering, you know, how do I know if, if I'm elect? How do I know if I'm chosen? And sometimes we, as people, we kind of you think of it as this encryption code that we have to kind of crack to figure out if we are. But the simple answer is this. If you are God's chosen people, you obey Jesus. You follow Jesus. Yes, you fall and you fail. But the pattern of your life is an obedient life toward Jesus. That is the pattern. That is the direction of your life. You care about Jesus. You care about what you do in your life. 
You're not out in your life to please everybody else or obey everybody else. You're out in your life to please and honor Jesus. It is for obedience to him, to Jesus. And what is the first step of obedience? Well, the first step of obedience is laid out to us in in Romans chapter one, verse five. The first step of obedience, it is it is called the obedience of faith. That's the phrase that Paul uses in in Romans 1, verse 5. Obedience of faith. That means the first step of obedience in your life as a Christian is faith and trust in Jesus. And so if you have taken that first step of obedience, you're a follower of him because you've put your faith in him. And then your life is just a continual life of obedience. And what I have to say to you this morning is this. There may be some watching right now who haven't taken that first step of faith. First step of obedience. Maybe you are a young child just watching in with your family. Maybe you're on your own and you've never even heard of us before. And maybe Jesus wants to take this moment to call you. To say to you, drop your nets. Stop living for yourself. How's life working for you right now? For yourself? Oh, turn to Jesus. Obey Jesus. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That you wouldn't have to have the punishment of your sins. But he bore it on the cross. He rose again. And ascended to the right of the hand of the Father. And he rules and reigns as a king over our lives. If you want Jesus to be your king. Trust in him. Take the first step of obedience. That's why we are given this name as Christians. For obedience to Jesus Christ. But that obedience goes hand in hand with the next phrase. For it says. Sprinkling with His blood for the sprinkling with his blood. And so what you've got is obedience on the one hand and cleansing on the other hand. And that is so, so important for us as Christians to remember that there's obedience and that there's cleansing. Here's why we need to know that. Because we're so concerned about the outside, our outside reality. The outside of who we are. We're so concerned about the outside. And I'll tell you, we're people who know that reality right now in our lives. The outward cleansing. What are we told to do? Every day and every second almost. Wash your hands. Cleanse your hands, right? Every shop has has a sanitizer. We press that button and, and loads of it splashes out on our hands. We're told to clean and sanitize our hands. We're so conscious with everything that is outside of us. All that is outside of us, we wear masks. Cleanliness is part of the life right now. Except what we need to be concerned with primarily is not the outward, but the inward reality. And the inward reality is our sin. And we need cleansing. And the only way, the only way we can be cleansed is this, by the sprinkling of is blood. 
the blood of the lamb is how you will be cleansed. And here's why you need the cleansing. Because the picture that he is giving here, stay with me here. This is so important. The picture that he, 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 he gives here goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 24. You see, in Exodus chapter 20 to 24, we've got this giving of the law. You may know what commonly as the Ten Commandments. It starts off with the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. Well, actually, it begins with this. Begins with God saying, I have saved you by my grace. I have delivered you out of Egypt. And then he gives them the Ten Commands or the Ten Words. And following that, he gives them an additional something like 600-ish commands. And after they receive all these commands, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, and 600 or more other commands added on to those words, then at the end of it, they make this agreement. They ratify the deal or the covenant, if you like. They ratify this covenant together. They, they make this deal together. And as they make this deal together and, and ratify it together, here's what they say. They actually say it twice. They're given all these commands, more than 600 commands. And they say something twice. They say this. Everything the Lord has said. We will do everything the Lord has said we will do. In fact, they not only say it twice in 24, but they also say it once in chapter 19. Everything the Lord has said we will do. You kind of get this feeling, don't you? <laughs> that they're going to be famous last words. Everything really? You know, 600 and something commands, you really think you're going to do everything? And then it's ratified at the end of chapter 24 with the sacrifice and, and the sprinkling of blood on them. Well, how did that work out for them? In obedience, did they do everything that the Lord has said? No. They couldn't. They didn't. They needed a sacrifice. They needed the sprinkling of blood. And so when we look at the purpose of our lives for obedience to Jesus Christ, yes, that is the purpose of our lives. But we know one thing, what? We'll continually fail in our obedience. And that is why, dear friends, we need the sprinkling of blood. Because you might say, everything he has said, I will do. But then we'll come tomorrow. <laughs> you won't do everything. And that's why you need cleansing blood of the Lamb to be sprinkled on your heart so that you might be free of sin and called to continually live a life of obedience in him. Let me read to you, finish by reading to you some great scripture that points to the reality of this truth. It's Hebrews chapter 10 verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you have trusted in Jesus, you're called to live a life of obedience. Praise God for the sprinkled blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin, that washes us as white as snow, that separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. 
right? I don't say that much, but oh, it's glorious. So where did you get the name? What's the story behind your name, Christian? Did you give yourself that name? No. You got that name by God the Father, in God the Spirit, before God the Son. Live for him. Live as his chosen people. Let's turn and praise God right now and sing the song of praise that we have with them. As it is played, I'd encourage you as a family or as an individual to think about the words as they come up on the screen, to sing them out loud to the Savior. And after this song, I'm going to deal with some of your comments, your thoughts, and your reflections on these verses. So do take that time of enjoying this song or enjoying this time to reflect and talk to one another. Let's sing together.